As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hello, welcome back to Full Time with Meg Linehan. You are listening to a show all about women's soccer on the Athletic Podcast Network. I'm Meg, your host, and I'm a national staff writer at the Athletic covering the NWSL and the U.S. women's national team. We are into the FIFA window, and the summer series kicks off today on June 10th. I'm actually in Texas to cover the three matches against Portugal, Jamaica, and Nigeria. And today I am joined by Heather O'Reilly, back on the show, who needs no introduction on the soccer side. But she is also back on the desk for Thursday's game with Fox and obviously has some firsthand experience when it comes to how an Olympic roster is actually made. Now, before we get to the news, and of course, there is just so much news, just a reminder that if you would like to support this podcast and our coverage of women's soccer at The Athletic, you can always sign up for your new subscription at theathletic.com slash full time. There's always a promo there. That is my pro tip from me to you. So, the news came back in a big way, so let's dig in. It has been a very long, very strange journey, but on Tuesday, San Diego officially was announced as an NWSL expansion team, with Jill Ellis leading the way as the club's president. Most of what became on public on Monday we had already reported here at The Athletic. Obviously, the board did approve the territorial move from Sacramento, as originally planned, to San Diego. Ellis' involvement playing out of Torero Stadium, but Ellis hasn't confirmed her head coach yet for the team, though we are pretty sure it is Casey Stoney. San Diego is set for a 2022 start, and Ellis told media in her first Zoom that she expects the club's crest and branding to be launched within two to three weeks. The head coach announced this summer, though Ellis is targeting July there. Also from the Zoom, the team has its allocation money already in place and can begin talking to players in terms of contract negotiations. Over in France, PSG ended Lyon's 14-season streak of winning the league title and then immediately followed by a lot of roster news, including a couple of big names heading back to the NWSL. Alana Cook is heading to the Reign on a permanent transfer, and OL Reign signed her to a three-year deal with an option for 2024. On Wednesday, Racing Louisville FC announced Nadia Nadim was heading back to the NWSL to reunite with her former coach from Sky Blue FC, Christy Holly. Her contract includes allocation money and runs through 2023. 
Gotham FC had a busy week, signing their top draft pick Brianna Pinto to a two-year deal. Pinto was on the bench for the team in their 1-0 win at home over the rain this past weekend. And then they also announced that French striker Gaetin Tiny would join the team on loan for the rest of the season, a move that GM Elise LeHue said would continue, quote, our friendly collaboration with Paris FC. Gotham's Ifeoma Anamanu was called up to the Nigerian squad for the Summer Series matches, which is her first call-up for the Super Falcons. One more NWSL news item as this weekend, Paul Tenorio and I reported the latest in the Olivia Moultrie lawsuit as Portland is working on signing her to a contract finally after having to make a trade with O.L. Reign, who claimed her discovery rights. The trade included a third-round draft pick. Now, on Monday, the temporary restraining order was extended by the judge until her next ruling, and as Paul reported, there was some discussion in that hearing regarding the creation, or the potential creation, of a special discovery process, and how the league consulted with the union about it because bargaining was ongoing. However, a source indicated that the NWSL Players Association pushed back against this concept of a new special discovery rule because, in general, the Players Association objects to the entire concept of discovery just across the board, and they've proposed to eliminate it entirely as part of the CBA. Also, the Players Association did not include an age restriction in that proposal. So, the saga continues. The USL announced the return of the W League as Jeff Reuter, Pablo Mara, and I reported on Monday evening. Eight teams have been announced so far, including DC United's return to women's soccer and a new independent team in the Twin Cities. The results are in for the National Soccer Hall of Fame. Christy Pierce was one of the two players elected to the Hall, with Hope Solo narrowly, narrowly missing out to Steve Torrindolo in the voting, and Shannon Box not too far behind. Kate Markgraf finished third in the veterans category, and I'm sure Portland folks will be disappointed to see Clive Charles finish second in the builder category only due to the tiebreakers. So that's the news. All right, as promised, Heyo is back on the show ahead of the summer series to discuss the U.S. Women's National Team Olympic roster. Three games on the line here before we get to the final 18 players and four alternates, and then the team heads to Connecticut for two send-off matches. So, as always, time to break it down. All right, Heather, we've got three more games. Three more games in June, and then we have a roster. So you've been on, on the player side of this. Tell me what is going through your brain knowing like you've got one final camp and then three games and then the roster drops. What is that mental process like? Well, I guess it really kind of depends where you sit on that team, right? Like I went through, oh, you know, you, you never want to take your place for granted, certainly, but there's some players that are 99.9% sure that they're on that roster. And I found myself, um, I was fortunate to find myself on that side of the national team for a long time. And later in my career, and actually in the beginning of my career, I found myself on the fence where I'm like, well, this could go either way. Um, and so that's a much different feeling. So I would say when you say like, how are the players feeling? Some are just worried about scoring goals. Some are worried about starting lineups and some are worried about being number 17, number 18 or number 20 and what right. the difference is amongst that. So um, yeah, I, I think that there are some players, you know, you would look at somebody like Lynn Williams maybe who probably is feeling very stressed about, um, you know, her place in the team. I think that she'll make it. Um, 
she's obviously been used a lot under Vlakovandanovsky, but I'm sure that she will want to have um, a huge showing. And, and somebody like Andy Sullivan, who all of a sudden is kind of given this last chance of hope, um, and she's going to want to have a, a blowout couple of games or, or, or training sessions at least um, right. to prove that she uh, is worthy to crack into this 22. And, and some players do look at it like a 22, I think, and some players look at it like an 18. Um, and it, it, is, it is a difficult uh, thing to kind of wrap your head around for those four players um, that will be traveling to Tokyo, but not quite on the roster. Um, it's a, it's a difficult role. I obviously did it in 2016. Um, but I think that there's enough good characters in that group that will, um, that will be great training players and will be ready when the, when, if, and when the moment calls for them. Yeah. I, I wanted to talk to you about training players. Obviously you do have that experience, but there is kind of this, I think, two minded use of the training players of, do you want someone that you can trust? Like if there is the call up, right. Or do you try to bring someone younger potentially, or do you try to use it like kind of a, a mix right across those four training players in terms of, you know, someone like a, a Sophia Smith, right. Who might not quite crack the roster, but could get kind of the understanding of a major tournament. If you take her as an alternate, where do you kind of fall in terms of how to use those four spots? Yeah, I think certainly, I mean, you lean more towards youth for those spots. Um, I think, you know, myself being an alternate in, in 2016 was uh, a bit of an exception. I think Lori Lindsay was um, an alternate in 2012, and she was probably in her late, late 20s, early 30s. Um, so it has been done, but I think in general, it is to kind of give these young players a little bit of a sense of this huge platform that they will hopefully partake in one day. Um, but out of the four, I think that you can, you know, I would say a healthy mix is probably like three young players and, and one sort of, um, keeping them together and, um, and, and, and yeah, just being, being the strong character in the mix. Right. All right. So we've, we've talked about the player side of this. I want to talk to you also about the coaching side of this. Obviously, Vlako Andonovsky is a coach that, you know, pretty well from, from your time, but in terms of, I mean, I feel like the joke that everyone has made is just like, man, we really don't want to be Vlaco. Like, this is the best possible problem to have to make this roster where you've got players coming back f fully informed. You know, Alex Morgan has had time. Megan Rapino has had time. Carly Lloyd has had time. But then you also have this next generation ready, right? And how do you balance that? What, what do you think is going through his head right now? Well, I think first and foremost, I, I don't think Vlaco is somebody in general that really cares how old somebody is, actually. He doesn't care if they're too old or too young. If they're good enough, they'll play. And I think that he really does value um, experience and seasoned players. And, and we can see that, like, in, you know, most of his lineups, the average caps is, is like, 80 caps or something like that. Like, these are players that have played a lot. So – I, I do think that he will go with an experienced roster. I don't think that he will. Um, yeah, that there'll be too many surprises with, with sort of veteran players being moved aside for some youth. So if I had to guess, I would say that. Um, but Vlaco is a very, uh, yeah, he's a caring guy. He's a sensitive man. I know that this is like, 
challenging for him to have to like make some of these decisions and 18 person roster is, is pretty cruel in soccer um, considering a world cup roster is 23. I mean, that's like a massive difference. Um, and just, yeah, I mean, there's some choices that you have to make that are um, really based on versatility. I mean, you do look at, you look at the center forward position for instance, and like, there's not really a time that you're going to see Alex Morgan and Carly Lloyd on the field at the same time. It's one or the other. And so therefore that's a spot that there's not all that much versatility and you can't have that all over the field because then um, you're, you're going to go past 18. Really <laughs> you're going to go past 18. So you have to have some players that can play um, a lot of, uh, you know, different positions and, and they do for the most part. I think that that's somewhat of an exception of, of a personnel that's kind of locked into that spot, which I think makes it difficult. Um, so, yeah, I think that he'll go with a, a seasoned group. Um, but I think that he's had some sleepless nights recently. Um, he, yeah, like I said, he's a sensitive guy. I'm sure that he's, he's looking for a few moments of clarity, this camp and these, these matches that truthfully, I hope he gets because, you know, you just want to be super confident in, in your selections. And um, again, these are really difficult phone calls and, and there's some really talented players being left off. So um, yeah, it, it is the, the tough part of the job, but um, you know, we're in USA and this is part of having, you know, massive standards of, of excellence. You have to do these kind of tough things. In terms of getting those moments of clarity, you know, I know that I've talked about this with you a little bit. I've talked about this with Ali Wagner a little bit as well, but obviously, you know, the parts that we're seeing are, are kind of 10% of the overall picture, right? Like he's also watching NWSL games though, obviously. I mean, I think about, you know, what Alex Morgan has done so far this season. And it's just kind of like, was Alex really in question? Maybe not, but also does it hurt for Alex Morgan to have the May that she did where she's scoring four goals, adding an assist, right? Playing full 90 minute games. Like what, yeah. what part of this in terms of the overall picture, like does Alex Morgan's NWSL performance turn into kind of that point of clarity for Vlaco? Well, I think that it would have to do with your NWSL performances, but also the last couple of games that they had. I mean, they played excellent, especially the first half of the France game. Um, so that lineup, I think, of Rapino, Alex Morgan, and Kristen Press on the right side really made uh, a statement, I think, in that game that they are the deserving, you know, front line, in my opinion. Um, and I think that, you know, Alex only kind of um, proved her point even farther. I mean, Carly is also playing excellent with NWSL. It's nothing to take away from what she's doing. Um, but I just think that the, those three players have really demonstrated that they are maybe the best three together. Um, it, again, that's, that's my opinion. <laughs> I'm obviously not paid the big bucks like Flacco in an right. is. Right. Um, and yeah, I mean, geez, what a turn of events for Alex. I mean, only Alex Morgan could, you know, be kind of touch and go for the Olympics last year. And then the Olympics don't even happen. Uh, and then she not only returns to form, but she's like on fire right now leading into the tournament. So, uh, you know, I, I have a, a lot of respect for what Alex has done. I think, you know, now that I have a little baby and, and Alex had the little baby and she took the baby to London for like a couple months 
to play yeah. with Tottenham, like something like that. Like I even said that I was like, you're insane. Like that's crazy to me. Um, just, you know, she was away from her husband a little bit and, and just, you know, nobody's able to go to games, et cetera. But she was just like, I'm committed to being in a training environment day in and day out, getting matches. I just need to get some games, get some touches. And, and like, that just kind of proves like the professional that she is. Um, so I think that that, even her going over there and doing that, I think made a big statement um, just about what her dedication level is and what her um, expectations are for herself, I think, in, in getting back and being uh, top form for, for these Olympics. Right. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Just in terms of the forward pool, because I'm thinking about where Tobin Heath fits in, because Tobin Heath is kind of the big question mark right at the moment. She's in as a training player for the summer series. They have Laura Harvey apparently working with her one-on-one, right, in part of her comeback. We certainly know what Tobin Heath can do, but just in terms of, you know, we do, we're again, like kind of injuries have been kind of the major factor in deciding a lot of these rosters over the past couple of months. And this one, it's still Tobin and now it's Julie Arts. So what do you think in terms of timing this, this looks for the two of them? I mean, to be honest, clearly I have no idea where either of them are in their recovery process. If there's anybody that's like, goes dark when they get injured it's Tobin like she she's a good mate of mine but like I have no idea how she's feeling how her recovery is doing she's always very private about um her recovery um you know it has been a long injury it's not this isn't like a four-week thing like Mm -hmm. she's going on a long time now so um you know she will not only have to prove that she's healthy uh, she'll have to prove that she's fit and ready to play at a, a really intense level, which uh, Andonovsky and the U.S. team has always really, really done. Um, it's it's a it's a high demand for your for your repeated sprints uh, up top, defensively and um, with the ball. So I think that she'll have to prove that she's not only healthy but she's fit and um and that she's in form again and and the good thing about tobin is that like she doesn't get rusty very quick that's that's the the beautiful thing about somebody that's spent like 30 years with the ball at their feet like doing tricks and touching the ball and and being comfortable with the ball is like she can go she can go a few months of no games and and it's not like she'll be you know atrocious with her first touch or anything like that um but she has to be healthy i mean this is an 18 person roster and i i i I would assume that, that, that Vlaco adores Tobin as we all do. And she's a huge part of the team, but like we've seen what happens when players aren't healthy in an 18 person roster, like it's difficult. Um, you have to have everybody row in the same way. You have to have 
everybody accepting of their roles. I think it's, it's going to be difficult if um, a player in that 18 is not uh, accepting of a role, um, maybe is used to starting and now will find themselves as a reserve. You really have to have really great camaraderie in the dressing room in, in, a, in a squad that's small. Right. Because uh, every voice matters, every action matters, every off field movement matters. Um, and and it, it's got to be one of, of positive life forces. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that Tobin probably has a really big 10 days of, ahead of her in terms of like proving that she's like very close to being back. I mean, I'm sure that Julie will be will be fine. Um, I think if, uh, if anyone has proven that she's kind of overall indestructible, Julie Ertz is certainly at least a top three candidate of, I mean, the number of minutes that she has played in some seasons between club and country is absurd. Yeah, so. no. She, yeah. And it's a good reminder that like, nobody's a robot and even her, like she's a human being that like can, can, can get banged up too. So um, yeah. I mean, maybe it's not the worst thing in the world to give her a little bit of uh of chill time before going into war. Um, but again, I mean, that's the beautiful thing about the U S team is now you, you know, you solve a little bit of a problem organically and now you can have Sam and, uh, and Rose Lavelle and Haran on the field at the same time, which was always kind of like difficult to make happen when you had Julie sit out. So, um, they have, they have alternatives that are very strong, but uh, yeah, I, I guess I would be surprised if Julie and Tobin didn't make the, the roster to, to answer your question. Okay. Uh, they're, they're just both such talented and important parts of the team. All right. Just in terms of, I think obviously, you know, Katarina Macario is kind of the one big name that a lot of people have circled. Obviously a lot of attention um, has been scoring goals pretty consistently has cracked the starting lineup in Lyon now under two head coaches too. Um, which was kind of my question mark of when Sonia Bonpastor came in, like, would she still be getting consistent minutes, cons- consistent starts? Where, where do you see her fitting in on this team right now, knowing that there is kind of this immediate potential, but also thinking, okay, you know, I think everybody originally had said, this is going to be the player for 2023. And then it timing wise worked out for the Olympics. Yeah. I mean, I think that she's definitely like the future of the team. Um, you know, I, I think with Alex and Carly up top, it's in the midfield that we have, it is just difficult for her to find time right now. So I think um, it might just be a little bit more time that she needs. And also I was thinking about it and now she'll be and correct me if I'm wrong. Now that Alana Cook is back and, who knows what's going on with, um, with doll camper. I guess she's still, she's still over with man city, but there's not many players back playing in Europe. And Mm -hmm. so I feel like there's a possibility that Macario is like the only one that's over there. Um, and I think that that will present some challenges. I, I think that, there'll be some training camps that she won't be able to come to because Leon just simply won't release her. So um, that will be an interesting thing for her to have to manage. But um, yeah, I think that she's definitely um, pegged for the future. I think that she's somebody that's probably right um, on the cusp of making this one, in my opinion. Um, because like I said, the, the number nine position is just like so solid and there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of interchange happening. There. 
Yeah. I mean, and it is interesting because obviously she does start at the nine too for Leon, but in terms of U.S. national team roster, she's typically listed as a midfielder, right? And that midfield, like, there's not really, between the midfield and the forward pool, like, there's not really a lot of give in either yeah. of those positions. So it is. Yeah, I mean, of, that's why you have to, I mean, and she's a wonderful player. And I, I don't want anybody to think that I don't think that she's a wonderful player. But you have to ask, like, okay, well, who's out then? Like, is she going instead of Carly? Is she going instead of Rose Lavelle? Like, so who's not going, you know, it's like the math only allows so so many, so many people. So um, yeah, it will be interesting, but she is an exciting player and um, we're lucky to have her with the U S uniform. Yeah. I'm, I'm very hopeful that um, she ends up playing with Leon in the women's ICC tournament, which you have obviously been a part of, but the one that's going to be in Portland this year, um, you know, it does follow the Olympics. So I'm, I'm kind of hopeful that players will still be able to play in it, but Macario playing for Leon in Portland against Barcelona is going to be potentially one of those things that doesn't really happen ever again. And I am just personally mentally like <laughs> circling that one on the calendar. Like that should yeah. be interesting. I think it will be awesome. I mean, taking part in the ICC was, was wonderful. I'm, I'm bummed that the courage isn't part of it this year, but I like that the ICC organizers are making these like really high standards for who gets in every year. And, and that's the way that it has to be. Um, so obviously Portland and Houston got the nods for, for this year and, and deservedly so. Um, but yes, it will be some really good football played. It's always a weird, weird one because, you know, the seasons don't align. Right. And now you have the Olympics. There might not be the strongest um, squads out there and things like that. So you can always, you know, put a little bit of an asterisk next to um, those games. But don't get me wrong. When we beat Lyon <laughs> and I scored, I scored, yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, we, we just, we're, well, we're the best club team in the world. We didn't care that this was like a summer tour for Lyon or whatever, that it was our home game, et cetera. It was like a million degrees. Now, uh, well, I guess we're the best club team in the world because there's no other way to really, you know, we don't have a club World Cup at this point. So it's like the only way to really show it. So, yeah, I mean, Barcelona is just absolutely lights out right now. So uh, what a cool opportunity it will be for these NWSL teams to. to Yeah. Yeah. I just also, you know, Portland has always uh, shown up for (laughs) women's soccer. So I, I do anticipate it being pretty interesting. Um, yeah, it's going to be awesome. Yeah. All right. Anyway, back to, back to roster talk. I did want to talk to you also. Uh, I, we shouldn't really skip over the defenders, but I think the, the defense is, you know, we do kind of have a, a starting back line that is pretty locked in at this point. Right. And again, you know, Del Kemper is still kind of a question mark in terms of if she is, you know, there, there have been reports like, okay, she could come back to the courage. She could, she did sign a longer contract with Man City, but in terms of some of the fringe players there, where, you know, Midge Purse on this roster, who, you know, there is certainly a large debate about where she should be playing on the field if it is in <laughs> as a defensive uh, player or as an a, as an attacker. But where are you kind of seeing maybe some of these bubble players like that? That kind of to me is we've got such a set back four. And then how do you use that versatility, right? Whether it's outside back, center back, or outside back, potentially playing anywhere up the wing. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's, I mean, that's just a preference of the coaching staff, right? It's, 
it's, you know, do you go with one reserve, one bench player that's a center back? And in this case, you know, you'd think that it'd be Davidson mm-hmm. um, that can do that. And then an outside back. And, you know, I think Krieger would still be in the mix. I think Alana Cook's in the mix. Um, and then the interesting one is Midge Purse because she can play, um, you know, up top or also in the back. So I think that that versatility generally is a good thing, especially for a roster like this small. But I think that Midge is, for my opinion, like finding herself a little bit in the, in the spot where Crystal would always kind of lament being in. It's just like, well, what, who am I competing with? Like, right. give, me, give me a, give me a role and let me dominate it and let me like make this my own. And I think on the national team, at least right now, she's a little bit floating in between. Uh, it could serve her for the Olympics or it could be kind of almost make you a little bit uh, more dispensable, I, I suppose, because you haven't really made your, your case um, for, for one spot. But I, I, I do think that Davidson will probably make the roster. I think that she has proven that she can play um, in the center or on the outside. So I think that's, that's helpful to provide a little bit of cover there. All right. All right. Let's talk goalkeepers then. Nair has been still pretty locked into this number one spot. French getting this call up for summer series, which I thought was pretty deserved after missing out on so many camps, right? Due to injury now is finally back in after coming and back. Is, is it true that she's had five shutouts with, Portland this season so that far. between challenge cup and, and this, yeah, she might be at that number by this point. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty impressive. So yeah, she's, she's had a really good club. Um, yeah. She's somebody that's had a really good club career forever. Mm-hmm. Um, really, really strong. Um, but Ashton Harris is making a bit of a push here. Right. I mean, talk about making some last minute, like, statements that like you're missing out on someone. So will it be enough at this point to kind of change, change course? I'm not sure, but, but good, good on her for, for playing her best uh, football when it matters the most. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. In terms of, though, I think the thing about Vlaco is that if those performances are happening in the NWSL, it's not like he's not going to use the right? Like, Ashlyn Harris is a, you know, I think a lot of fans kind of hate this, but, like, a known quantity to this team. Like, you know exactly what Ashlyn Harris is capable of. And if the form is present in the NWSL, even if she's not necessarily in this camp, does, I mean, the door does still seem to be open, at least theoretically. I think theoretically, I mean, I think that it was, it was tough to not make this roster for these games. Um, but I, I think that there's a reason why Blacko has been so tight lipped about and, and literally wait until the last day to release this roster. I mean, I, I think that the, he, you know, he's coming from the club environment. So he, he knows what goes on there on the day to day and like what it means to be turning up like, 
saving penalty kicks, all this, and what that does for your team. I mean, Ashlyn is a wonderful um, leader, I think, figure in the locker room. I think it would be difficult for her to be an alternate um, unless it's done in the right way and she's given a really clear um, and positive role just because she's such a veteran and she's been around forever. Um, it would probably be difficult for her to do that role, but I'm sure that she would do it if, you know, if given a choice of, of being there or not. Um, so, yeah, I mean, yeah, again, Vlaco comes from the club environment. He has a lot of admiration for what goes on um, in the NWSL. So I'm sure that he's, he's watching all these games. All right. So what are you watching for from the summer series in terms of, you know, Vlaco has said, okay, we've got to balance minutes, right? The games are also in Texas specifically. So that way they mimic the heat and humidity, right? So they're going to be watching players and how they kind of turn around uh, game to game. The fact that there are three games in this little window, um, what are you personally watching for, whether it's a specific player, whether it's something Vlaco is doing? Um, I think that I'm, I'm just really looking for like the, the players on the fence. I think the ones on the cusp more than like the general style of play. I think that we know that now. I think the interesting stories to me is somebody like a Sophia Smith is like Lynn Williams is like an Alana Cook. Um, yeah. Players that might only have, I don't know, let's call it 45 minutes over these three games. Um, and you have 45 minutes to like be named an Olympian or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and honestly, sometimes it does come down to that, those like last impressions. I, I really think that in 2004, uh, even though that sounds so long ago, <laughs> but I genuinely believe we trained all summer in residency camp, probably like five or six months. And I had a fantastic last week of training, scored a bunch of goals in inner squads. I was sharp. Um, I don't know. I just played my best soccer and I made the team. And I think that it was based on those like last impressions. It's like when that coach is hitting the pen to the paper and was, was the most like recent thing that they just saw. So this camp is huge. This camp is, is hugely important for those players. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really curious if, if somebody kind of steps up and breaks in. And um, yeah, I think it's a huge uh, look into character too. Interesting. All right. So we get through these games. I'm guessing the roster gets announced pretty quickly after that because also they have two send-off games now scheduled for July 1 and, and July 5th. What, it, what happens as that flip, as, as that switch gets flipped, right? You go from trying desperately to make the roster or in some cases like trying to stay in the starting 11, whatever it is to having that roster. And then the team goes into essentially pure prep mode. What, what is that change like? Well, I think first and foremost, when the roster is named, everybody takes a deep breath and says like, okay, well, this is our squad. This is our team. It's not a tryout any longer. Um, What could be interesting is if there's some residual injuries Um, because then you do have some alternates that might all of a sudden this hope is like opened for them. Um, I believe that you can make changes in the tournament until the groups through the group stages. So if there are residual injuries, I think that that will, I don't know, not, uh, it won't be as like final, 
the, you know, and, and, and that might be a little bit of, you know, um, a looseness, I think to the squad, but definitely like people take a deep breath, tryouts over. This is the team we're, this is our Olympic squad. This is our team that we're going over there with. Um, there's not as much jostling. I don't think going on for like spots and time and, uh, answering questions and meetings and stuff like that. Like there's just not as much jostling. It's just kind of like, well, this is us now. Like, let's, let's stick together. Let's, let's go win another gold. Um, and, you know, of course people would like to start and we'll continue to be pushing on for that. I mean, every single game, but, um, there is a little bit more of a team feeling as soon as that roster is named. All right. And then, so we've got the two send off games, both against Mexico, both in Connecticut, which is still, the most interesting location choice to me that does not like if they're going to Texas to prep for heat and humidity, and then they go up the East coast before they have to go to, to I was just like that. Okay. <laughs> Different direction. <laughs> sure. What I, I mean, personally convenient for me, so I'll take it. Um, but then once, once they start thinking about, okay, we're, we're going to Japan, this is going to be the strangest Olympics ever. Right. So having lived through this tournament where it is a more normal Olympic experience, although even within, I, I don't know if people necessarily understand, like generally the team is also not like in the Olympic village, right? Like you are in a tournament that is still actually run by FIFA within the Olympics. So it is kind of its own weird little experience within another major world event. But what are you thinking like, in terms of there's likely not going to be fans in these stadiums, right? Like how is that going to impact these games? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that you're right. I think that the Olympics for soccer is always a little bit different. We're kind of, we're not in the Olympic village until the end. That's always like the rallying cry. It's like, gotta get to London, gotta get to Rio. Um, because that means that you're obviously progressed through the tournament and you're getting close to the semifinal and final. Uh, so that's always just like kind of like the rally cry to, to kind of, to focus on and to get there. Um, so yeah, as soccer, you're always kind of just like out on the outskirts. I mean, I remember when we were in Glasgow or, you know, let, let's see another, some Chinese cities or for the Beijing Olympics. I mean, you're kind of out there playing in these uh, individual cities where, um, yeah, it doesn't really feel like the Olympics. Maybe there's like some draped over rings banner somewhere, but that's about it. <laughs> So I don't think that that will um, affect them that much. I, I think it's a bummer. I think, I think it's disappointing. I think primarily that family can't come over um, because it really is a really special thing for um, this, you know, accumulation of all this hard work, which it's really like a family's hard work of, you know, bringing you all over the, the United States to, you know, youth tournaments, all this stuff. And for them to be able to, be there at the Olympics, I think is really special. And um, they always made it really special for the US parents to like have a gathering place um, to go and, and it is just like a wonderful event. So um, I think that that's, you know, disappointing. I mean, I hate to, um, to say this because it sounds kind of like a downer, but I don't think that like the fans not being there will make or break the US team performance. I think yeah. through COVID. I mean, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, through COVID, like 
there's been no fans. I mean, you go over, you know, years back, you go to like Algarve Cup in Portugal and we're playing some of the best teams in the world. We're playing Sweden, Germany, like really like one versus two, one versus three kind of games. And there's like a hundred people in the stands. Right. So uh, we're used to bringing our best when not many people are watching. Right. Um, so yeah, Algarve Cup I, was always kind of, I mean, I, I am personally kind of glad that the team does not do that tournament anymore just because the experience of trying to get that on like they used to do like pay-per-view $20 a game and it was just like so just from every standpoint of like how many people are actually watching this both here yeah and in the stadium I mean it seemed like it was a beautiful location and obviously yeah, it was always fun to, yeah to get those games but um I think it ran its course the Al- the Algarve Cup yeah although I did go to like 14 of them so I uh I did my fair share in the, the southern tip of of Portugal yeah but yeah I mean there I are worse that, places yeah exactly so yeah I think I think the U.S. team will be fine like in terms of like regaining their the, retaining their focus and um there'll be so much support from back home I think that a lot of people will be watching the Olympics on television I think mostly to support the athletes and then also just because we are craving like um, something that binds us, I think, um, in the country. And so I think that it'll be a great event. And, you know, you always want there to be men's football, you know, the U.S. to have made it, but they didn't. And so once again, the women will have to carry the load and, and go for this, um, this huge accomplishment of, a, of another gold. And I think that, you know, we had that ghost um, lingering in the air that, you know, had, nobody had ever won the world cup and then the Olympics right after, cause it is challenging. Um, but the good thing is, is they had that extra year. Yeah. And I think that that was really helpful for Vlaco, really helpful for the team to like, I mean, Megan Rapinoe took a year off right. basically. Right. Um, Alex Morgan had a baby. Like they got time to regroup, to like get their heads wrapped around this new journey and, um, and recharge. So I think they have a really great chance it's a tough group, though. Really tough group. I uh, mean, t- sweet taxing, taxing group. I think physically taxing. So, you know, so. it's not a it's not a major tournament without a game against Sweden. <laughs> Always. So Always. yeah. All right, hey. Well, I definitely appreciate the time. Um, you are on the desk for the first two games. How about you tell folks where they can find your coverage for some yep. series? Well, I will be actually just doing the first game on the 10th versus okay. Portugal. Um, myself and Rob Stone and Alexi will be covering it from, from the desk there in LA. Um, and you can find us on Fox Sports 1. Yeah, and really looking forward to, um, to being with Fox again. And uh, although they're not covering the Olympics, I know that you know the national team uh, is so important to them. And um, that's why they're doing this lead-up series. And um, the World Cup is right around the corner. What is it? The cities were named. I got Sydney. Yeah. I'm, I'm circling Sydney on my calendar. Um, that will be uh, awesome. So yeah, no, yeah. I, I'm already like mentally going like, okay, World Cup uh, 2023, and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> all right. So we've got to you know like maybe get there a week early, right? Like just to get used to the time zone and yeah. maybe do some exploring in New Zealand. You know, it can't hurt. So. Exactly. It's going to, it's going to be a blast. So this is maybe seen as a little bit of a lead up to, to that experience. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you again for, for being on the show, walking us through some roster thoughts. 
appreciate it. And, uh, I'll, I'll keep an eye out for you. I'll be in Houston. This is my first travel. So I am personally looking forward to the heat and humidity of Texas because it is me getting back to normal (laughs) with work. You'll be okay. You'll be okay. It is weird uh, a little bit to be at the airport and stuff. Yeah. uh, Yeah. This is going to be my first airport trip since, you know, the before time. So I am, yeah, yeah. I, and I think I'm flying out of LaGuardia, which I don't know if you've experienced LaGuardia, but it is an interesting airport experience yeah. at the best oh, of it's, times. It's bizarre. I mean, the, why is there so many birds there? <laughs> There's always so many birds at LaGuardia. Yeah. I don't no. know how they get in. Yeah, Anyways. no, that is a well, constant. Be safe. Be safe. I'm sure that you'll be great and enjoy the matches. All right. Thank you. Yep. Thank you. Thank you again to Heather for the time. And again, you can catch her on the desk during U.S. Women's National Team versus Portugal match on Fox. Again, I'm down in Texas for these games, hopefully making it through the heat and humidity and also eating an ungodly amount of tacos. One more thing, if the Euros are your thing, The Athletic has so much Euros coverage right now. I'm, I'm just I'm going to put the link for the Euros hub in the show notes. But I would truly like to think that between the U.K. team with some help from the North American Soccer Vertical, that we have everything that you need to be prepared for the lads over in Europe. As always, the home for the show is at fulltimepod.com, where you can find links to all the major podcast platforms. And if you're enjoying the show, as always, a reminder that ratings and reviews make a difference. And one more call, subscribe to The Athletic and support all of our women's soccer coverage right now at theathletic.com slash fulltime. My name is Meg Linehan, and you've been listening to Full Time with Meg Linehan. You can always find me on Twitter and Instagram at It's Meg Linehan and my work at The Athletic. Full Time does not exist without the work and support of senior podcast producer Michael Zimmerman. From The Athletic, I'm Meg Linehan, and thank you for listening. <laughs>